Brother Don. Appreciate you praying for David Peach. I forgot to remind our church tonight to pray for David. Um, he arrived safely, we're assuming in Peru. Um, he's going to be there for a couple of weeks. I think he said he gets back on the day that our global focus begins. So pray for Brother David. Uh, God would keep him safe while he travels. He's got some speaking. Stephan, do I have this right? He's got some speaking engagements his first week. The second week, he's going to be visiting various missionary friends. And so pray that David would be an encouragement to these folks down in, down in Peru. A lot of times missionaries, especially if they're American missionaries in a foreign field, there's a great measure of loneliness that sets in. And to have an, a friend from America come, uh, coming from the same culture, speaking the same language, and liking the same McDonald's greasy foods or whatever they do, it's just encouraging to have them. And so pray that God would use David, uh, not only while he speaks, but also while he, while he has the ministry of edifying brothers and sisters in Christ, that that would go well over the next couple of weeks. Titus chapter 1, we didn't get very far last week. We just introduced Paul in the first three verses and we'll not take too big of a bite tonight either in verses 4 and 5, looking at uh, the reader, the recipient of this letter, uh, Titus. I, I've, I've entitled the series Lessons from a Pastor's How-To Manual. You have these four epistles that Paul wrote to individuals. The rest of them were either to a church, uh, to a local church, or to a group. And, and you have First and Second Timothy and Titus as they're designated the pastoral epistles to two young pastors. And then there's the very personal letter uh, to Philemon that follows, that follows Titus. And, and so um, we're going to focus our attention on the shortest of the three pastoral epistles, the book of Titus, where Timothy had so much, uh, he had so many, when he, when he got to Ephesus, he was dealing with so many doctrinal issues that Paul's, Paul's epistles to Timothy, both the first and the second, he's, he's correcting doctrine. In the book of Titus, he seems to be correcting behavior. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, about who Titus was, where he was ministering, what Paul left him to do, um, all of those things. So last week we met the author, and the human author anyway, that's Paul. I love the way he introduces himself, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful introduction, and it's something that you and I uh, you and I can glean from that. Tonight we're going to come to Titus and verses uh, 4 and 5. We know a lot more about Paul than we do Titus. But there are some things that the scripture reveals, uh, reveals about this guy. Look at verses 4 and 5 as, as Paul continues to open up the letter. He says, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. We're going to stop right there, and I know the sentence doesn't end there, but we're going to stop right there because that introduces Titus to us and also the reason he is where he is. Next week we'll get into verses 6, probably down to verse number 9 or so, but tonight, let's just focus on these two things. You have this young man, Titus. His name means, uh, it literally means a title of honor or a strong one. Um, that was a common name like, like Bill in our country. Titus was a fairly common name. There was a first century Caesar by the name of Titus, but we don't know much 
we, what we know about that Caesar, uh, it's, not while he was, uh, it's not while he was Caesar that we know about his works. He's the general who in 70 AD destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Nine years later, he was made Caesar when his dad died. So Titus was a common name. It wasn't, a, it wasn't any kind of a, a unique name. And so he has, Titus has this name. He's a, he's a Greek. He's a Gentile by birth. He's not Jewish. Um, Titus was just a young man uh, that Paul took under his wing and, and served with Paul in the ministry. Thirteen times you're going to find his name in the scripture, but nine of those thirteen times you're going to find his name in the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul sent, Paul sent uh, Titus to the church at Corinth. You remember the church at Corinth from 1 Corinthians, all the problems they had. Paul sent Titus there to do what Timothy apparently couldn't. Timothy went there first. Things did not get resolved, and so, so Titus was sent there. Um, Paul, you remember in, in 1 and 2 Timothy, you'll read things like this where Paul wrote to Timothy, be strong, be, be strong like a good soldier. Don't let people despise your youth. You remember that in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy? You don't read any of that in Titus. Titus appears to be a strong, solid, confident, and I don't want to misuse the word, but successful Christian. Christian leader. Paul never told him to be strong. He didn't have to. He didn't have to tell Titus to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Titus was a solid, reliable man. He's not mentioned that much, but what is said about him and what is, what is not said to or about him is, is very revealing. In these verses that we just read, especially there in verse number, uh, in verse number four, he opens up and he, he tells, he, he, he greets Titus and he tells him of the work he has to do. He prays for Titus in that verse. And he, he tells us here why, why Titus is in Crete. It's letting us know, but he's reminding, he's reminding Titus, don't lose focus on why I left you there. In fact, he closes out verse number five by saying, as I had appointed thee. We, we talked about this before. Don't get distracted. Here's your work while you're, while you're on the island. This is what you're to be about. So we're going to look at this greeting, first of all, in verse 4, and then we're going to look at some other things uh, from verse 5 and some other passages of Scripture about Titus and see what we can learn about him. Um, let's know who the letter was to. The letter was not necessarily written to you and me. You and I have it now as the word of God. It's part of what we need to know and we're responsible to know. But, but specifically, this was written to this young man. And, and I think there's some great things in here that we can learn. So let's go to Titus 1, 4, and 5 and start off like this. Let's talk first of all about Paul's affection for this young man. Paul's affection for Titus. Who is he? Why is Paul saying some of the things that he does? How, why does he address him the way he does? Let's look at that. His affection. First of all, you need to know that he's a convert of Paul's ministry. A convert of Paul's ministry. Paul calls him mine own son after the common faith. Obviously, Paul is talking about a spiritual relationship that he has with him. He doesn't refer to Timothy as his brother in Christ, although they were. He calls him my own son after the common faith. Paul used this phrase to describe those who had been saved or called into the ministry under Paul's ministry. 
he, he, called, uh, he called Timothy the same thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, Timothy, my own son in the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, to start the second letter, he says, Timothy, my dearly beloved son. So these young men that were called into the ministry or even saved under Paul's ministry, Paul looks at them like he's their spiritual father. They're his sons. He was the one God used to bring them in. Now, I think, and you'll probably agree with me, you're familiar with First and Second Timothy. I think Timothy was probably saved as a young man or even a young boy under, his, under his, the influence of his mother and grandmother, two godly women that Paul mentions by name and says, don't forget the things that your mother and your grandmother. I think there's a good chance that Timothy was converted at home as a child or a young man, but he was called into the ministry under Paul. So Paul said, oh, he's my son. Titus, on the other hand, was, seems to have been saved under Paul's ministry. This Gentile seemed to have been saved under Paul's ministry, and then he's called into the ministry, and the, it, it says that the relationship that they shared, that phrase is, after the common faith. What do they have in common? That they've both been brought to Christ. They both have the same Savior. Jesus had saved Paul by grace through faith, and Jesus had saved Titus by grace through faith. The same way. Paul didn't have any physical children. Paul never married. He had no uh, biological children. But I believe he had several sons and daughters after the common faith. Uh, he tells one church. He, he refers to one of the churches he wrote a letter to. You're my children. He had brought them to Christ. And he, he was the spiritual father of those that he had led to Christ. And those he discipled and, and trained in the ministry. I'm saying all of that to say, to, to ask you this question. Do you have any spiritual children? Do you have spiritual sons and daughters? Are there those people out there that God has used you to bring them to Christ? I like what D.L. Moody said about this. He said the only monuments he wanted when he died were the ones walking on two legs. People that he'd led to Christ in his ministry. That's what he wanted to be the monument after he was dead and gone. What a noble, what a noble aspiration, I think. You and I ought to be after that. It, you know, it, it's a great thought to think this, that there could be people in heaven and, and who missed hell because you shared Christ with them. Now, you didn't save them. I think I told you before that my maternal grandmother was led to Christ by my dad. He led his mother-in-law to Christ. And she used to introduce my dad as, this is Maurice. Uh, he's my son-in-law. He saved me. And my dad was quick to jump up and say, no, I didn't save you. I just introduced you to the one who could. But isn't that amazing that God could use you or use me to keep someone out of hell and introduce them to Jesus who will take them to heaven? Mark this, there ought not to be any Christian. I, I put it like this on your worksheet. No Christian should be spiritually childless. You and I ought to be quick to share the gospel. It's not your responsibility to save people. You can't. But it is your responsibility to sow the seed. And you say, well, I'm not, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism, but every Christian is commanded to be a witness in this world. Every Christian is commanded to witness. Every Christian does not have the gift of evangelism. May I be honest with you? Evangelism is not one of my spiritual gifts. It's, it's not. 
My spiritual gift is pastoring. There's a difference. But that does not relieve me in the, very, in the least of telling people about Christ, of handing someone a tract, of talking to someone who's on the wrong way and saying, you know what, God, God says there's a different way to do this, and then point them to Jesus. No Christian should be spiritually childless. We can and should be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's incredible. You could be the person that God chooses to use to bring someone to Jesus. Don't miss that opportunity. There, there's nothing you can spend your time that's more valuable than being part of the change of someone's destiny, their eternal destiny. Tell people about, tell people about Christ. Titus was a convert of Paul's ministry. Paul said, he is my son. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith. Not only was he a convert, he was also a confidant. He's a confidant of Paul's. He was a loyal, valuable assistant to this apostle. He appears to have served with Paul on both his second and his third missionary journeys, according to John MacArthur. Uh, he said Titus got into Paul's ministry early. When Paul is speaking of Titus, I said mostly he's mentioned in 2 Corinthians. Paul speaks of Titus in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 18. And he's writing these questions to the, the Corinthian church, and he's trying to show that they have the same heart. And this is what he says. Speaking of himself and Titus, Paul asks, Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? Paul was saying about this man, not only was he converted under Paul's ministry, but he was brought in as a trusted friend and helper. And he's, he had a, a kindred passion for Christ's work, just like Paul did. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse number 23, Paul says he's my partner and, he, and my fellow helper. He's his co-laborer in the ministry. Paul had a great deal of confidence in him. As I said earlier, Paul sent Titus to Corinth to do apparently what Timothy couldn't. Timothy went there first. And then that's in 1 first, uh, first Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians... Um, now Paul is talking to them about Titus and saying, listen to what Titus has to say. There was some tension between the Corinthian church and Paul because of that first letter and the things going on there and Paul's response to the wrong things going on. And so Titus is sent there to smooth those things over and, and to assure them all of Paul's words were spoken in love. That took a great deal of confidence in Paul to send young Titus to that church as a representative of himself. So he's a confident in Paul's ministry. I, I'm saying those things about all this that he did to point out that not only was Titus God's son, he was God's servant. And this is for you and me. Here's practical application. If you're a son or a daughter of God, you ought to be a servant of God. This, this is how this works. Service is a natural response of those who have been saved. When a person truly gets saved, they want to live for God. They want, if their heart is right, they want to serve him. They want to live for him. Now, and, and let, me, let me say this. I'm not, being, I'm not trying to be um, uh, disheartening. But those who claim to be saved, 
and never demonstrate a desire to live for God or serve him, they have a questionable profession of faith. Because that kind of mindset is foreign to anything in scripture. So if you're a child of God, you need to ask yourself, am I the right kind of servant of God? Am I serving like I should? You ought never to be content to be doing nothing in service for the Lord. I've talked to folks, especially it shows up in older people's lives, and they'll say things like, well, you know, I used to do this and I used to do that. Almost as if they had served a sentence, but they'd done their time, and so now it's time to go away, you know. Well, we need to let the young people do it. Well, you need to let the young people do what the young people can do and the old people can't. But there are some things that old people need to be involved in. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no stepping back from serving the Lord. Don't step back. If you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, if you're his child, be a servant of the Lord. In the Bible, service is the outcome of salvation. Service is the outcome of salvation. So what can you do? I, I talked to someone recently, and, and they're just not physically able to do what they used to do. And I told them, I said, aren't you glad that God gives opportunity for us to do something different later in our life? Maybe we couldn't do when we were 30 and 35. But there are things that you can do today, and you can do them as service to God. And he expects those things from us. Paul and Titus had a great working relationship, and it, 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 it blended their hearts together. When I read this about Titus and, and Paul, and I read how uh, Paul said he was my partner and he's my fellow helper. We walked in the same spirit, Paul said. Uh, we walked in the same steps. That makes me thankful for the relationship I had with David Cross for a long time at this church. And that's, here's the truth. That's the way every one of us ought to be with each other. We ought to be able to serve the Lord together. Every Christian has a role to play in God's work. And God's work is the local church. So what we ought to do is roll up our sleeves and join hands and go to work. And do what God, and do what God has given us to do until we see his son Jesus. I, I, was, um, I was reading a story and, and a pastor had written, uh, or a commentator rather, had written on this text and he gave this illustration of this little girl that got lost in one of those, those massive wheat fields in Kansas. Have you, has anybody in here ever driven east to west across the state of Kansas? Did you want to do that again ever in your life? Oh, my word. We drove, we drove across Kansas, 70 west. I, I really think you can stand in Kansas City, Missouri, and see the Rocky Mountains in Colorado right across, right across straight top of Texas, or Kansas. There is nothing there. You'll drive for miles down the interstate in these massive wheat fields. You're like, what in the world? They do have good deer hunting there, but it's the most boring state I've ever driven across in my life. There's a story about this little girl that got lost in one of those huge wheat fields, and these people are out looking for her, and, and night was approaching, and it was late in the fall, and when it got dark, it got cold, and the searchers looking for this little girl realized if we don't find her, she's not going to survive the night. And they looked and looked and looked, and it started getting cooler and cooler and darker and darker. And finally, somebody suggested, they said, look, let's just join hands and sweep the field. We'll just walk from one end to the other. We'll turn around. We'll do the next column, and we'll just sweep the field. So they joined hands, and they started walking. And, and finally, they came across that little girl's body. It was too late. And one of those workers said, why in the world did we not join hands sooner? 
Now, I say this to you. We will stand before God one day, and we're going to say to ourselves, why did we not join hands sooner to see more people come to Christ? That's going to be, I, I honestly think it's going to be the biggest regret you and I have as Christians when we stand before God is that we were not more free with the gospel than we are. We're going to realize how glorious heaven is one day. And we're going to realize how terrible hell is. And I think our biggest regret at the judgment seat might be the fact that we didn't share Christ like we should have. I put on your worksheet what could be done in a church if all of its members joined hands and went to work for the glory of God. Forget about building a name for, for you or me or for Faith Baptist Church. What if we did what we did solely for the glory of God? What could that church do? Well, that's, that's Paul's affection for Titus. If you read what he said to and about Titus, you're going to come across the fact he loved this young man named Titus. Then the second thing I want you to see is his aspiration for him. And that's the second part of verse number four. His aspiration, his desire for Titus. Look what it says, the second part of verse four. After saying he's his own son after the common faith. Then he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. His desire is, his, his desire is revealed in those words. Grace, mercy, and peace. That's not a formal greeting. It's a prayer of blessing. He's asking God to bless this young man with grace and mercy and peace. He's praying for Titus. And here's what he's praying for. First, he's praying for God's blessings in Titus's life. God's blessings in his life. Three of them that are from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Do you notice, does that, that phrase grace, mercy, and peace, does that sound familiar to you in Paul's writings? Did you know that only in the pastoral epistles does he include the word mercy? In every letter to the churches, to Galatians, the Corinthians, the Romans, the Philippians, the Colossians, all those churches, grace and peace be unto you. But in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy and in Titus, Paul opens it like this, grace and mercy and peace. That's interesting that he adds them to that. I I find that interesting, and I, I'm going to steal some of these. Uh, I'm going to steal some of these uh, definitions here from John Phillips tonight. John Phillips said that grace reminds us of the provision of God the Son. You and I are saved by grace. It reminds us of the provision of God the Son. Guilty sinners receiving a full pardon, a complete cleansing. That's what grace brings to us. Paul wanted Titus to enjoy, the, to enjoy and experience everything that the grace of God opens up to him. So first he says grace to you. Second, he says mercy. Mercy reminds us of the protection of God the Father. You know what mercy is. Mercy is God not giving us what we have coming. He's holding back. Grace, he gives us what we uh, what we don't deserve. Mercy is he doesn't give us what we do deserve. That's the protection of the Father. It means to bestow compassion or loving kindness on a person. So instead of getting what we deserve, we get what we don't. That's the mercy of God. 
Grace reminds us of the provision of God the Son. Mercy reminds us of the protection of God the Father. And peace reminds us of the product of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when the, when the Holy Spirit came, they would have peace. He would bring them peace. You and I got peace with God. One writer said it like this. We gained peace with God when we got saved. We gained the peace of God as we acknowledge the indwelling Holy Spirit in us and he settles us. Even when our lives are upside down, we can know peace because of the Holy Spirit. Even when everything's going wrong, whether it was expected or not expected, we can know the peace of God. We do that through the Holy Spirit, that, that quietness of heart. You know Christians like that. You know Christians who have been through the deepest valleys we can imagine and there was just a settledness to them. That's the peace of God. That's not them. That's not a strong spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That's him giving us what, what Jesus promised we would have. Paul knew what Titus was going to face in the ministry and in his life. And he knew it was going to be hard. And so he prays first for God's blessings in his life. And he prays for God's grace and mercy and peace to be on, on Titus's life. He prays for God's peace uh, for, for God's blessings, rather, on his life, and also for God's best, God's best on Titus's life. His prayer to God to richly bless Titus reveals that Paul didn't want, he didn't want Titus to live an average or mediocre Christian life. He didn't want him to, he didn't want him to uh, not know the great joy that God had for him. He didn't want Titus to miss out on the blessings of God in his life. He wanted God's best for him. I, I think I left it on your worksheet. The greatest life a believer can live is one fully surrendered to God and to be blessed by him. Anything less than that, and you have shortchanged yourself. D.L. Moody used to speak of people going to heaven. I, and this was interesting because it was before planes were around. Moody lived back in the late 1800s. But he, used to pe he spoke of people going to heaven first class or second class. They're all going to heaven. It's just different ways they're getting there. You can go first class or second class. First class was you got to experience the blessing of God on your life. You knew that grace and mercy and peace and it dwelt in you and you had that. And then there are those Christians and you, maybe you know some like that. They're constantly in a spiritual struggle. They don't seem to know joy. Their life doesn't demonstrate peace. They're going to heaven when they die, but it's a second class, it's a second class ticket. I have never flown first class in my life. I haven't flown as much as some people have, but I've never flown first class. I've walked through first class before, and I'm always impressed with that. I'm impressed with the judgmental looks I get from those people in first class. Look at me, my little 1999 duffel bag from Walmart, you know. I heard a guy talking one time about going through the airport. And he, he had packed in Walmart bags. I was like, that would be something like something out of, out of Knoxville, McGee Tyson Airport. I've seen first class. I've just never been in it. Boy, it looks comfortable, especially on those flights where we go across the Atlantic. If we're going over to Africa or we're going to Europe, and it's a long flight. I mean, 10 hours. The longest leg of a flight I've been on, I think, was 14 and a half hours. And you're sitting back there in coach, and you're like, man, I'm glad I'm not. Like, I'm glad I'm not John Yingling six foot three and we're crammed in back there it's not comfortable for me and I'm pretty average size 
Then I walked through first class, and I'm like, boy, that would have been nice for the last 12 hours. Some of those planes they have, they, they've got, uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen some of the, the first class and some of those planes, they're like little Captain Kirk seats. I mean, they're capsules. And that thing comes up, and you can, you can just about lay down like a twin-size bed in that thing. You're like, this is ridiculous. I will probably never ride first class. I think it's a waste of money. But I'll tell you what, I don't have to go to heaven in anything less than first class. You don't have to, Christian. You can know God's grace and God's mercy and God's peace and let that carry you, let that carry you through. To experience those things is what it means to know God's best. This is what is needed for us to get through. I, I fly coach, I fly coach down here in my physical life, but in my spiritual life, I want to be first class. Selfishly, can I just tell you, selfishly, I want God's grace on my life. I want God's peace and mercy on my life. And it's available to me, just like it was to Paul, just like it was to Titus, just like it is to you. The best this life has to offer is not measured in financial or material gain. It's measured in the amount of enjoyment that we find and rest that we find in God's grace and his mercy and his peace. Paul's affection for Titus, his aspiration for Titus, what he wanted for Titus, what did he want? God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace. The last thing is this, the assignment. What was he given to do? What, where was he at? What was he given to do? That's verse number five. Paul's assignment for Titus. I had to look this up because I knew that Crete is an island. I knew it's in the Mediterranean Sea. I didn't know there are about a little over 3,300 islands in the Mediterranean Sea. That's a lot of islands. Crete is the fifth largest of 3,300 plus islands. This is a big island. It measures at its widest point about 35 or 36 miles wide and somewhere around 160 miles long. And the way this sentence is structured in verse number five tells us that at one point, Paul and Titus, seems, they, they seem to have worked together on the island of Crete. We just don't know for how long. But Paul says this, I left you in Crete. He didn't say, I sent you to Crete. Or I posted you at Crete. He said, I left you there. So at some point, Paul and Titus probably worked on this island together. And by the way, this is the only, this is the only time that the Cretan church is mentioned in the New Testament. It doesn't say anything about this in the book of Acts. It doesn't say anything in Acts about Paul being on Crete. But he was there. So Paul sends him to this place. And when Paul left the island... He left Titus behind, and he gives. Verse number 5 is the reason for this letter. Verse 5 says, For this cause left I thee in Crete. Why, Paul? Why'd you do that? That thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or lacking, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. He's telling us why he left them. There were some things to be done here. Well, let's go through this. We got, about, we got about 13 minutes. Let's go through this assignment and look at it like this. This is good teaching for our church and for the practice of our church. Why was he there? What was he to be doing about it? The first thing is this. There are problems to confront. There are problems to confront. Did you see that phrase in verse number five? It says the things that are wanting or lacking. 
that, that phrase, and, and it really is not specific, and as we, glean, as we make our way through the book of Titus, it's not going to clarify, that phrase means one of two things. It's either referring to the unfinished business of teaching these new believers some things. Paul wasn't, when he left Crete, he wasn't done giving a good solid foundation to these unbelievers. There's unfinished business or there was a defect in their doctrine or their behavior and Titus was there to confront these things. I don't know what it was. If he was there, or maybe it's a combination of the two. Maybe these new Christians, the discipleship, side of things wasn't done the teaching wasn't laid yet or maybe there was also this this uh, defect in the in the doctrine or in the behavior their practice there something was off either behaviorally or morally or doctrinally or all of the above but some of these issues as we'll make our way in fact we're going to get right to it some of these issues involved the leaders of the churches on the island of Crete whatever the issues were Maybe the, maybe the church leaders were not yet uh, instructed in the word like they should be. Or maybe they were messed up doctrinally. Or maybe they had some moral issues to work out. Uh, my heart was broken over Chris Radabaugh's last letter to us from South Africa where he was talking about, I think, at least two different pastors in his letter. Uh, ministers, deaf pastors that they had, to, they had to relieve from their churches because of moral problems. Whatever the issues were, Paul left Titus there to confront those those problems. Crete, as big as it was, it had several port cities on either side of the island. And so it was it was a pretty prominent place for all of those involved in sea travel, whether it was transporting passengers or or more more commonly uh, trade. But they came through Crete. Well, what what did that do? That brought all kinds of the world's religions and philosophies to the island and undoubtedly those things are going to get mixed up in the church and Titus is going to have to correct those things Titus had to address those issues that's why Paul sent him there but here's what I want you to know and and keep this in mind God directed Paul to tell Titus stay there and confront these problems and my point is this church that problems and defects in a church must be confronted they have to be dealt with it's not fun some of you have been at our church long enough to know how and when we have practiced church discipline it's not fun it there is nothing enjoyable about it and you when 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 that happens and we have someone that we have to remove from the membership of our church you're getting the culmination of a process that has been going on for months and heartache that deacons and pastors have been carrying for months while trying to call a wayward Christian back to God. And when they don't come back, we practice what it says in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And they're removed from this church membership. And we give admonition to the church family, you're not to have fellowship with this brother or sister. You say, Pastor, that's harsh. That's what Paul left Timothy to do on this island. There were problems there that had to be confronted. They couldn't be ignored. Paul could have packed. It would have been much more convenient for Paul to pack Titus up and grab Titus and say, let's just go. We've got some work to do. In fact, not much further down the road, Paul is going to call for Titus to come from Crete. He says, I need you to meet me in Nicopolis. 
It would have been better to have Titus there, but there were some things that had to be confronted. And so he left him there to confront these problems. There is a purity that is to be sought after and protected in a church, especially when it comes to doctrine. False teaching can't be tolerated, not in any church. And if it is, it's no longer a church. The New Testament church has this book as its rule and practice. And once that ceases to be the rule and practice of the church, it's no longer a church. Now it's just a club. Now it's just a bunch of people getting together and deciding what they say is right and wrong instead of God deciding what's right and wrong. So there's this purity to be sought. And failure to protect that purity, can it'll keep a church from growing, spiritually or numerically. Now there are some people that will sacrifice doctrine for unity. They'll tolerate things in a church just so they don't make waves. Can I tell you, that's a lousy trade. That's a terrible trade because the reason is you don't get true unity like that. That's not true unity. That's just hiding what God says needs to be corrected. And then some, say, some will say things like, well, it doesn't matter what I believe on this topic or that topic. It does matter. It, it absolutely does matter. We should, we should keep this in mind. I, I hope I left this on your worksheet. Doctrine is never a minor issue in a church. It's the issue. It's the issue. It's, it's not a minor issue. Church, let me, let me say, there is a reason on, on that sign out there on Crook Road, there's a reason it says Faith Baptist Church. There's a reason it says that. It's because we're not Church of Christ in here. Doctrine matters. We're not United Methodists. We're Baptists. There's a difference between those. Doctrine matters. I'd love, wouldn't you love to be able to decide what to, what to keep and what to throw out in the Word? I'd find every one of my little pet sins, and I would, like that king back in Jeremiah, I'd get my little pen knife out, and I'd cut that little sin out. That would be wonderful if we could do that. And there are churches all over this world that are doing just that. It's not allowed. He was left there to confront these problems. The second thing is, is he was, he was given a plan to correct them. How are we doing? Five minutes? He was given a plan to correct those problems. There's a two-prong approach here, and, and we're just using these um, right out of Scripture. The plan to correct the problems, number one, was to set some things in order. Number two, to ordain elders. To ordain elders. Two-prong approach in this plan. The churches of Crete, they don't seem to have been really messed up doctrinally like Ephesus where Timothy was. But they do seem to be in somewhat of, of, of a kind of chaos. There seems to be some, some things just not working out there. It's not running like it should. And so the book focuses more on behavior than it does doctrine. And so he says to, he says to uh, Titus, you need to set these things in order. I'm not going to try to pronounce this Greek word. But that phrase, set in order, is one Greek word from which we get our word, orthodontics. 
An orthodontist is not a dentist. An orthodontist, one of the things he's, one of his primary goals is to straighten out crooked teeth. And that word set in order is the picture of setting a broken bone. It's to make straight. That's what the word means. To set in order means to make it straight. And the picture is setting a broken bone. To make what is crooked straight again. Titus was to go there, not only identify and confront those problems, but he was to correct them, almost like a spiritual doctor. What does that doctor say? I've never had to have a bone reset. Have any of you had to have a bone, like, like your legs broke or finger finger broke? And that doctor says, now this is going to hurt. I would rather him not tell me that. If that was me, I don't want to Just do it. Don't give me a heads up. Just twist that thing and get it over with. Titus was going into that church almost like a spiritual doctor. And what he was going to have to confront, what he was going to have to say, was going to hurt, but it was for the betterment of the church. It was to set them in order. Paul's assignment for Titus reminds us that God expects us to keep his church doctrinally sound and spiritually straight. Doctrinally sound and spiritually straight. So go in there, Titus, and set things in order. There's some things that are a little crooked. They're doing things that really shouldn't be done in a local church. Go in there and set those things in order. That's the first part. The second thing he was to do to help with this was to ordain elders. The end of verse 5 says this plan was discussed before Paul left Crete. This is what I left you there. I appointed you to do there. So these believers on the island of Crete, they know Titus is there at Paul's behest. They know that he is acting on behalf of the apostle Paul. And the second thing he's to do is to ordain elders. That's what it says in verse number five. Ordain elders in every city. All throughout that island, 3,000 something square miles, he was to be ordaining elders in these cities. That word elders does not mean old guys. That's not what that means. I, I like that group that gets together here on Sunday morning. Somebody gave them the, somebody gave them the nickname of Romeos, retired old men eating out. I think that's awesome. This word elders is not referring to the guys that meet down here at Hardy's or Bojangles, wherever they're meeting now. Uh, this word elders refers to spiritually mature men who God has called into the pastoral ministry. When you read into the Old Testament, especially through Paul's epistles, he'll use words like elders and pastors and bishops. He's referring to the same office, different aspects of the same job. And he is to, Titus is to go into these places and ordain elders. Now, this is a little different from what we do, isn't it? I left, I, don't, I know I left this on your worksheet, that this direct ordaining of elders by Titus is an example of apostolic authority being exercised in the first century church. Apostolic authority being exercised in the first century church. Remember and, and we, we've said this as we've started through the book of Acts. There's a lot of things that happens in the book of Acts. They're just not for us today. It was a different time. There was apostolic exercises, apostolic gifts, and apostolic authority. One of those things that they were ordained by God to do was to set elders in cities, set pastors in churches. Paul delegated that to this young man named Titus, and he tells him to ordain them, to set them in this position of leadership in the church. Now, here's the thing. We don't know how that happened. We know that, 
that Titus was given that responsibility, but not how that was carried out. Most likely, the churches had some type of influence on it, but they were young and immature Christians still. So I would say that what may have happened here was that these elder candidates were suggested by the churches that knew them, and they were presented to Titus, who would most likely grill those guys on doctrine and on the truth, and then Titus's stamp of approval was the final confirmation for them. Now, that's all speculation. We don't really know how that worked. We just know that these elders were to be appointed because some of the churches in the cities didn't have pastors. And they said, we've got to get leaders in these. We've got to get the leaders in these churches. John MacArthur has a really good book, uh, a really good commentary set on the New Testament. In his commentary on Titus, this is what he said about this ordaining elders in every city. Dr. MacArthur said, because many, if not all of those churches were troubled by unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, like it says in chapter 1 and verse 10. And because many of the people were involved with foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law in chapter 3 and verse 9, the need for sound spiritual leadership and moral example was all the more important on the island of Crete. When we make our way through this book, we'll, we'll glean some of the struggles they were having. So they needed good leadership. It's vital that a church's leadership, pastors, deacons, teachers, disciplers, all of them should be grounded in the word of God and they should be living lives that are Christian examples of what it looks like to be led and filled by the spirit. And this is what Paul gave Titus to do to solve the problems on the island of Crete. I'm leaving you there to set things in order in these churches and to make sure every one of those churches across that island, they have the right pastors they need. So you ordain these. This is the answer. Put men in who can, who can effectively teach the word of God to these Christians. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get into the things that God expects of these leaders that Titus was to ordain. We start in verse number six, and Paul begins by saying, if any be, and then he just goes down the list. If they look like this and this and this and this and this, those are the guys you want to serve. Again, I don't know that the things, that things were as bad on the island of Crete as they were in Ephesus, because if you remember, that list in 1 Timothy is a lot longer for the pastoral qualifications than the list we're going to get into in Titus. It's just in, in, in Ephesus, you remember Ephesus, we went through that book, just an idolatrous city, wholly given over to idolatry. It's just an absolute mess. Timothy had to go there, so there's quite a list. Next week, we'll start in on this list of, of qualifications for God lead, God's leaders, but do this when you come next week. Don't just expect this of your leadership, your pastor or your deacons. Look for these things, how they can be improved in you, because can I tell you the truth? None of the qualifications for the pastor or deacon are really anything less than you want to be as a Christian. That's just how it works. Um, so let's meet next week, and we'll start at verse number 6 and pick it up from there. All right? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for Titus being a young man in the ministry, and yet apparently filled with your spirit. Paul had great confidence in him to leave him by himself and sort out this, the, the, these problems 
there. And Lord, what we are looking for in our generation today is young men and young women to rise up and be above the average in their Christianity. Paul prayed that Titus would have your best blessings on him. And Lord, I pray that at Faith Baptist Church, you'd find a group of men and a group of women who desire your grace and your mercy and your peace to be what marks our lives. Not the world's ideas of success, but Father, your ideas of blessing. Thank you for this book. Help us to glean from it what we should. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, church. It's good seeing each of you this evening.